Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Partner Running Show. A show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Partner Running Show on this 16th of June or 15th of June, depending where you are in the world. I'm Andrew O'Brien and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my lovely co-host Sue. How are you going, Sue? Going very well. It's nice to be back. Yes, I feel, feel mm. uh, after a couple of weeks on the road, it's a bit like a first run after an injury or <laughs> yes. something. Oh, I'm a bit rusty. hope I'm pushing all the right buttons and so far, so good. Uh, I think we're all up and running and recording. So it has been a, a, hectic, a hectic couple of weeks as we've travelled to South Africa and then to Thailand for the Comrades Marathon, the 90th running of the Comrades Marathon, and the 10th uh, running of the Laguna Phuket Marathon. And of course, to keep up the symbolism, we had the 90th Comrades and the 10th Phuket, add that together, comes to 100, and Phuket was the 100th marathon in which we have run together. Side by side. So not your 100th marathon or my 100th marathon. Those days are gone. But our 100th together. So it was a very special occasion and we celebrated that by having a few days off. We did. (laughs) (laughs) We enjoyed the uh, lovely, luscious location that Phuket is. Yes. So um, today on the show we're going to talk about comrades. Uh, We're going to talk about Phuket. And we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges of Travelling for races, or particularly for international races, and so um, that will get us through as we try to get back into a little bit of partner running show form. Uh, one of the exciting things about uh, travelling to such big events and around the world is uh, catch up with old friends and make new friends, and that leads to um, you know, some interesting interviews coming up over the next few weeks with some of the people that we've met, some of the topics, some of the ideas, and some of the. Uh, that's just some of that time to think about different issues and uh, areas of interest. So, mm, and some of the, the motivation for people from all different walks of life, all different age groups, uh, genders, etc., that choose to make marathon running uh, their hobby and, in some cases, their way of life, basically. Now, uh, um, we wait for about three weeks. So any any highlights, anything that stood out for you as, as uh, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty, anything that really stood out for you as sort of the highlights of the trip? Um, I think one of the, the big things for me with that amount of travel and running to international events is the motivation that a lot of people have to, to get to these events, that it can be something that's been preoccupying their minds for over 12 months is a build-up and the amount of energy and work that people are prepared to put in for some of these events. Um, we're lucky enough that we do often travel, but for some people, this is their, some of these events we went to were their big annual or even something that they've been looking forward to for longer than that and putting so much training in to actually get to race day. Um, and it was just... I could understand their emotion for getting there. So, yeah. All right, Olga, we'll talk more about that as we get into Mm. the the three topics for the day. All right, on that note, let's keep on moving along. Over the shoulder, a quick review of last weekend's running. 
well, just a couple, much of the last couple of weeks. I well, suppose, yes, in, in I, I have I have focused on a few things that just uh, caught my eye over the news wire, and uh, maybe merited a little bit further discussion. And one of them was uh, the world record for the oldest woman marathon competitor um, successfully completing an organised marathon and that honour went to Harriet Thompson, aged 92, who became the oldest woman to complete a marathon when she finished in San Diego on May 31st in a time of 7 hours and 24 minutes. Um, she ran her first marathon at 76 and she's been trying to run one a year ever since. I um, thought you might have noticed that one because mm. uh, the, there was a topic of conversation at Comrades about who was the oldest woman to run the Comrades th this year. and uh, That it was someone I, in their 70s. I'm not sure whether you, were <laughs> whether you were joking or not when you thought you, when you're suggesting you might. So, yeah, I thought that story, I, I saw that story, I thought it might have caught your eye. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it's always just fascinating to see that some people are able to keep going at that age uh, this um, Harriet was saying that she's been a, a lifelong devotee of fitness and always tried to keep herself fit and then thought that uh, at 76 that marathon taking on the challenge of the marathon would be something that she could do or should give a try so great to see that still taking place um, yeah just really 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 good and some of her uh, challenges. She has been a cancer suff sufferer, so she's a survivor, and uh, accompanied by family as she run, uh, ran her son. So seven hours, 24 minutes, mm. and 36 seconds. Yes, that is the uh, at this time the unofficial world record. But it's more the fact that of her age that she's completed than the time, because that's not that's not so much a function. There's someone who's a little bit quicker, but was a few days younger. So she's um, just sort of pushed up that. Um, of course, our Indian friend, Fora Singh, um, hang, has stopped running but supposedly set the world record for the oldest man at 101. But there is no birth certificate on his behalf, only a passport that claims age, so unofficially. Now, the other um, sort of news feature or quirky news feature is dressed as Forrest Gump, who has... Um, completed uh, 1,050 miles of running as he ran from John O'Groats in the north of the UK to Land's End down in the south. And uh, dressed as Forrest Gump with the hair, the beard, the whole thing. Um, and it, uh, it's sort of in honour of uh, a young lad, Tom, uh, young lad, sorry, Thomas Laurie, um, age nine, who died of Cocaine's syndrome, and that is uh, his challenge to raise funds for him. No blisters, he said. The body gets used to running, and uh, he has completed that challenge successfully. There you go. So that's um, if you are interested in that, that's yeah, 42, fascinating looking. Forty-two marathons in forty-two 40, days. Yeah. So uh, there you go, that's one challenge. Somebody else who's trying to sort of set those sort of challenges is um, a UK guy also called Rob Young, who became the fastest runner of the race across the USA, finishing um, 30 hours ahead of the expected time. So there's no finishing gate set up for him. They weren't expecting him to come through that quickly. That ends up being 117 marathons in 140 days 
as part of that particular race. So his new challenge, because these people like to keep finding challenges for themselves, is trying to uh, break the world record for the longest run without stopping. And he is trying to set himself that challenge for... And he needs to run over 350 miles to achieve that. So that's, what does it without stopping mean? See, I'm not sure. I haven't looked into the exact definition of that through the Guinness Book of World Records, whether you're allowed a five-minute break every hour or you know what the actual setup is of that, whether you are allowed sleep or what you know presumably not sleep but if you are allowed a, a 10 minute break every whatever so i'm not sure what the exact definition of that is yes it just says without stopping um sadly a couple of bits of news about runners um having cardiac arrests during races over the weekend in the u.s now i suppose interestingly for this a couple of things we've noticed that late spring is the time that a lot of people, late spring, early summer, is when there are a lot more fatalities on running courses, whether it's the sudden warmer weather that runners aren't quite expecting and they've come from slightly cooler climates. Um, these were three runners, all competing in half marathons, all men under the age of 25. So quite an interesting sort of comment um, about the type of runners that are susceptible to this. Uh, one in particular uh, was running his first half marathon, running with family, um, medics on scene straight away, does sort of tend to, again towards some sort of undiagnosed medical condition that is within that uh, unfortunately has caused these problems. But race directors say that the odds of this happening, of runners going into full cardiac arrest, the ratio that they've worked out is one per 400,000 runners in the half marathon will have a full cardiac arrest. So unfortunately, if it's your race that that happens in, there's nothing much you can do about it. And I know we've seen runners collapse with those sudden cardiac arrests and it is quite shocking. But on a happier note, the um, rock and roll marathons are still gathering steam and rock and roll Liverpool had a huge turnout, rock and roll Seattle the same on the weekend and these are aimed at mass participation rather than the elite, uh, which is always kind of good to see. Um, that sort of completes my little news wind up. If you've got anything else there, please feel free to add it. Well, I think yeah, and it was interesting to note that while we're away, um, Pat Farmer got a OAM, I think it was. Order of Australia. AM for uh, you know, running around Australia and running across the world and doing all those fundraising things. So that was kind of interesting to note. That was it for me. I, I mean, I'm still catching up. Yes, uh, yes, I'm a bit the same. I was sort of like just in the immediate, what some of the, the quirky news stories, but not so much uh, any of the massive um, or any whether there were any world records broken, yes. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, I did note that the Perth Marathon was on last weekend and um, in hindsight, we should have come home from Thailand via Perth. We could have there, then ha run in Perth. But anyway, I uh, didn't realise it was till it was too late. Uh, but it was interesting to see, uh, I, and what drew it to my attention was the... Uh, Rogue Runners Club of Australia are out in uh, large numbers participating in the Perth Marathon. Uh, poor old Jace injured, so he didn't run. Uh, 
Pete got through but hurt his knee, so there's, um, oh. he's a bit concerned as to uh, what, where that's heading to. But uh, Camo, who has had some injury woes over time, uh, was in good form and uh, ran, a, ran a PB and uh, almost slinked in under the 340. So uh, very nice running. So well done to Camo and everyone else from the Rogues for getting out and running the Perth Marathon. So that was a, a few of the things that caught my caught my eye. So on that note, we should keep on motoring along. And uh, here we go. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been running in some warmer climate conditions and in unison with that, we've been also taking some long-haul plane flights too. And one of the things that can affect your body when you are either running in warmer climates or that you are taking long-haul plane travel is that your water and electrolyte balance can be upset. And... I'm the person that that found this happening to me over the last two races that we've participated in. As someone who doesn't cramp, I found myself cramping quite a lot. Uh, First of all, in calves and then moving into hamstrings, quads, with the first race with comrades. And then the second event, which was run in very, very warm conditions, very humid conditions, post-race, luckily, I found myself cramping pretty much in every leg muscle that was possible to cramp. And it was something that struck me as very unusual. Now, why was this happening to me in these particular races, whereas it never happens to me in other events? And quite often we do see runners who have their whole event spoiled, their race spoiled, not so much through injury, but through cramping. And why does this happen? Why does it happen to some individuals under normal conditions? And for others, we need to be really careful in unusual climactic situations. So I tried to do a little bit more investigation about sodium intake and runners and tried to find out a little bit more about cramping. Now, sweat tastes salty. And we know that it does. We can we can check that out ourselves. But it's not the same as table salt or sodium chloride. It's not that sort of salt. Sweat is sodium and it plays an important biological role in our body. So we need to have salt. And the balance between sodium and water within our bodies is called homeostasis. And we need to keep that in balance. When one of those gets out of whack, then our body gets out of whack as well. So the greater a given volume of water within our body needs a given volume of sodium to find that balance. If the sodium level goes up within our bodies, it means that we retain water to try and keep that balance. And if our sodium goes down, then it generally means less water retention to try and keep that perfect mix. Our body tries to find balance by excreting sodium, like more salty, wet, 
salty sweat or we flush water out of our bodies to try and get that balance and uh, if we are excreting sodium if our sodium goes low we could even find ourselves craving salty foods to try and find that balance when we run we sweat so the water level goes down within our body and our body excretes sodium or salty sweat to try and maintain that balance. So as our body loses sodium, a little bit's okay, but a lot means the body needs more electrolytes or more salts. And if we don't do that, we get into trouble with cramping at least. Too much sodium in our diets is bad. It increases our blood pressure, it increases the risk of heart attack, stroke, etc. And lots of sodium in the diet is a Western trait. So usually we're okay with our normal diet without having to take in extra salt to try and find a balance. The body will find that balance. But with endurance athletes, this becomes a little bit different because of our sweat levels. So how much sodium does the individual need? And this is what is the crucial factor. Sodium output is different from individual to individual. Usually in terms of intake of sodium, about four grams of a day of salt is enough or is the suggested guideline. Some runners get a little bit nervous about this sodium level dropping and they take salt tablets um, and I put myself into that category. Others just take water and they sweat and they don't have any cramp problems, but some runners find that they need to take more salt in. So running and sweating lots creates a water loss, which means that your sodium level is going to go down. So when we're running, we need to take in not just water, but we need to try and bring our sodium levels back up to that homeostasis. Salt tabs, salty foods, electrolyte drinks, all of these help, but the trick is not to get behind. And if you do get behind, that's when the cramp comes in. So from my perspective, with my cramping in my leg muscles, I had got behind in my sodium intake. Um, I hadn't taken enough electrolytes in. I probably went into the race a little bit undersalted from what I usually am with a change in diet, with travel, uh, with all of those factors coming into play with the extra humidity. And as I said, everyone is an individual. So a couple of little tips about trying to avoid that problem with your cramping or with sodium. Be conscious of the conditions that you're running in and increase your sodium intake if you are prone to cramps or you think that you might be sodium deficient with more salty foods leading up to the event day. Before even before the run, have a salty snack or have an electrolyte drink beforehand. The typical sports drink that we get on course has less sodium than our sweat. So even if you drink a lot of it, it's not going to push your sodium levels up too high. You're not going to be retaining fluid too much. Also, the, so the sodium level goes up with the rate of fluid absorption that you, as, as your um, electrolytes get absorbed through the bloodstream. So better to be overhydrated a little bit with some of these electrolyte drinks than underhydrated. 
The other good thing about keeping your sodium levels up and making sure that you are well hydrated is it increases the blood volume and keeps your core temperature down and your heart heart rate lower as well for a given workload in those hot humid conditions and also after the run it's good to consume a salty snack quickly to try and bring back up your sodium levels which was another one of my mistakes that I didn't replace the salt as quickly as I could as we finish I did mention that each sodium output of the individual is individual and there are various means you can have your sweat analyzed to find out whether you are a very salty sweater and you need to take note of that so if you are susceptible to cramps it would be a really good idea to have your sodium intake checked and sports nutritionalists do offer that service Um, so if cramping continually is one of those factors that spoils your events repeatedly particularly in hot conditions, but even in cooler conditions, really worthwhile getting that sweat analysed to see what level of sodium and um, electrolyte balance you need to try and achieve. But just uh, today's Ask Sue was, well, why did I cramp in those conditions and what can I do about it to try and avoid it in the future when I'm not usually a cramper? And uh, hopefully... If you see yourself as one of those sort of people, that some of those little comments will explain why it happened to you and maybe some of the techniques that you could use to try and stop it happening again or find out uh, how you can go about eradicating it and fixing it. That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. Well, our uh, feature topic or topics, I'm not sure whether it's three topics or one. Uh, first, is, first of all, is it the Comrades uh, Marathon, the 90th running. Then we're going to move on to the Phuket Marathon, and then we're going to sort of wrap it together by a little bit of a, a chat about uh, some of the challenges of life on the road for international events. But I figure, uh, and the reason I think maybe it's sort of one topic is it's kind of the best, I think it flows best as we sort of blend the whole trip because it was there was little bits of life on the road, running experiences, before the comrades, leading up to the comrades, in between, and then of course the two events, and then after. So, just I suppose to start off with, we um, we had a couple of days in South Africa before the race. First of all, on the safari at the Pindat Game Reserve, where we had a running highlight. Uh, then at the sort of the comrades expo and lead up to, and then the actual race itself. So without getting into it too much, uh, the highlight of the safari, Sue, with from a running perspective. Uh, for running, from a running perspective, was heading out into the game park in amongst the wild animals for a run. 
of course, we were guided by Ranger Ian in the jeep behind us with a rifle on the dashboard as we went and making sure that we did not get more than five metres ahead of him in the jeep. Yes, I think, uh, just to put it in context, the game safari at Pinder, and I think you said to him as a bit of a joke, oh, you know, it would be good if we go for a run because we're running the comrades on the weekend, not expecting him to say, yes, we can organise that. And uh, sure enough, he did. So the way the game drives uh, work, for those who haven't had the pleasure, is they, um, they take you out at about five in the morning for three to four hours, bring you back, feed you breakfast, etc. Then, depending on where you're at, you can do some more activities or in our case just lie by the pool for a few hours and then sort of three or four o'clock in the afternoon they take you out for another game drive before they bring you home for dinner and so what we happened to us on this occasion was that we went out for our morning game drive came back had breakfast and then 11 o'clock right yeah let's go and so off we went so we we ran for uh, about 35 minutes through the area with animal footprints by the side of the road on the road and, uh, we did see some animals. We ran past the zebra, we ran past the giraffe, we ran past the... Uh, antelopes. The nala and all those sorts yep. of things that I, I always get confused by. Didn't see any elephants, lions... Rhinos. Cheetah, <laughs> no. hippo. No predators. Yeah, so... Uh, or, or, or snakes. No, that's and true. It, yep. it scared the heck out of me when we saw that spitting mongoose or whatever it is. Spitting viper. Spitting viper, yes. Um, man, anything had a leap, he could have played... Uh, would have made a good centre forward, I think, is a huge jump on him when he leapt up off the road. Definitely. So that was that was mm. something different. And strict inc- instructions that if he said, stop, we yeah, were so to stop. Yes. And he would drive the, don't run, stop. He would drive the Jeep up to us and we would very calmly move into the Jeep. So I'm glad we didn't have to test that one out. I don't know whether my calmness would have... Yes, I thought we were going to actually bring, you know, we might have had the opportunity to bring to get bring to life that old gag about uh, the two guys in the jungle and, you know. <laughs> I don't have to. One of them says, uh, you know, oh, we're going to get ready to run and take off. And the guy says, well, you're never going to outrun the lion. And he says, I don't have to. I just got to outrun you because you'll be lunch and I'll be I'll be free. Um, but I uh, thought for a moment there that might have, uh, mm. did, did recall. Yes, I, I'm glad I didn't have to test out my ability to freeze like a statue when I saw a lion or something. That would have been interesting indeed. Yeah, so that was a, that was a very memorable experience. Mm. Notable by um, a number of the other people, particularly some of the South Africans who've been on safari, who've never had that opportunity and been told that they, when they, even when they've asked, they can't do it. So we were very, very lucky there. A big thanks to uh, Ian, the ranger, and everybody at the um, Rock Lodge at Pinder, where we had a wonderful time. So... From there, it was uh, by car down to Durban, about a three-hour drive, and we arrived in Durban on the Wednesday night for the Comrades, the 90th anniversary running of the Comrades, the Up Run, which was uh, 87.8 kilometres from Durban up to Peter Maritzburg. Uh, Now, the Comrades, because it was the 90th anniversary, had extra people there expecting up to... 23,000. I think they ended up with about 17,000 yeah. runners. And uh, whether it was magnificent, it was a wonderful event. And so the expo, a big part of the Comrades is the expo where people go to register and all sorts of exhibits and massage and those kinds of things. And that opened at 9am on the Thursday. Yes. So we were over there at about 
and uh, spent a ha- half a day expo checking, uh, getting our our cap, our, our shirt, shirt, our race number, our chip, all those important things, and uh, checking it out. Yes, and uh, for those that are Australians participating in this event, on this particular year, uh, the Australians were the, I'm going to say the largest? The largest, they were. The largest uh, non-African contingents with 253 Australians over there. There were less US, there were 250 US, and so on down the line. So if you are an Australian travelling over there, there were lots of others. It was either the Australians or the Brits, but certainly the Australians. Mm, I couldn't remember when to say both, that, and I wasn't both sure. Both were more, more than the US runners. So Definitely. A so. bit of a... Um, Interesting thing at the registration, you had a choice of a cap or a visor, visor and they only had, what, 7,000 or whatever number of them. So there was some problems on the last day of registration because people missed on getting their their pack um, with or their goodie bag, which had some you know, sponsors, giveaways and things, but they missed out on their shirt and their, their cap or their visor, and so that caused a bit of angst for a race which had required you to enter in November and submit your qualifying time by mm. March or something to then miss out. So um, it was just a little bit of a glitch. But a reminder, again, to try and get to the expo on one of the earlier days, particularly um, just with shirt size too. I am an extra small, and we got into the merchandising area an hour after the expo opened, yep. and all of the extra smalls were gone in a few products so just um, maybe that is sort of a little bit of a, a preoccupation with male runners yep. for this particular event more males than females so less merchandise for females anyway but gee that was tough an hour <laughs> they're all gone so I think that is one of the tips if you're coming in internationally and you and you at all can or if you're coming in from South Africa too but if particularly if you're coming in internationally to try to arrive there on the Wednesday mm. but, um, and if there are difficulties with planes maybe even it's the Tuesday um, so that you can be rested and be at the expo on the first day where it's quite quiet you can get through if there are any challenges or issues you can deal with that and then go out and explore the expo so the, so the kind of the way the expo is structured is a special entrance to register the first time you go in. If you return to the expo after, there's a separate way in that takes you straight to the exhibitors area. Uh, pick up your gear, your, your tag, etc., your chip, get through, it takes you almost straight through the merchandise area. There's an opportunity to buy a bus ticket for either taking you up to mm-hmm. Peter Maritzburg for a down run or to bring you back from Durban for the up run if that's the way you're doing it. Then um, I'm assuming the ticket. Yeah, that's that's the tickets you go through in the merchandise area, and they have again. I saw some gripes that there wasn't quite enough green number clothing as there oh, had been. Green okay. number being the ten-year people, but uh, New Balance was the sponsor this year, and so there was yeah a range of product. Uh, we put one or two things, towel and a shirt each, but wasn't overly uh, impressed with the quality of the what's there. But you know, particularly if it's your first one, there's some some good 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 gear to get. And then it takes you out and about, and so the exhibits, everything from the charities through to free massage from the massage school, sections on the history of comrades, uh, lots of free samples from you know, drinks, competitions, games, uh, a memorabilia section where we bought a, a cup 
and uh, comrades watch. They had a special anniversary watch, but you could buy iPad covers and yes, pens all sorts and of things, all sorts of uh, comrades related things. Um, quite a few of the running shoe people were there. Uh, notable that in the past when we'd run the comrades, that the, the Shoes were really well priced, and we picked up some bargains. Yeah. This time we're pretty much the same prices as in Australia. Mm, I don't so. know whether the taxes had changed or something since our last visit to Comrades, but um, it is a spectacle in itself, the expo, and a chance to meet up with other runners. You might come across some people to chat. Um, there's another reason to go early, before, not the day before your massive event, if you do get caught talking to someone, standing, walking, it can be really tiring. And yep. it's just there's a lot of people. It's fatiguing to bustle past people. And so we, we got, took advantage of the 15-minute massage, which is quite mm, good. Uh, then 2 o'clock on that day, uh, and I think it's part of the annual calendar, on the Thursday is the uh, ambassadors run. So Comrades has a number of international ambassadors, and particularly the Australian and American ambassadors, I think, sort of got together and, and have initiated this over the years. And so 2 o'clock on that day was the ambassadors run. There was probably about 40, 50 people did the old group photo and then headed for about a 5K. It was flexible as to where you turned around, but about 5K from the Hilton, which is Hilton Hotel, which is a great spot to stay right next to the expo. Uh, Well-priced for international visitors down to the beach, probably 500 metres uh, a kilometre at max along the beach and back and so in a large group for those that sort of new to Durban uh, it's kind of a, a safe nice way to get out and about and for many of the people um, us included that was the only run in Durban a few some went out again on the Friday morning but some went out the Saturday morning yeah but for, for uh, many people it was do a run on the Thursday and then rest up Friday Saturday um, but each to your own choice uh, Durban has a nice uh, beach front that, you know, particularly if you're with a couple of people there, and during daylight is, is a nice spot to, to run. Uh, for us, we'll send back to the Expo for a bit more massage. Of course. And uh, we sort of focused in on our on our Thursday and Friday night meals, having light meal on Saturday night for the race. Saturday, uh, Friday, uh, they have the international bus tours. Uh, which you can book in when you register for Comrades, and that takes you basically for a tour of the course. We were lucky that we had Brian, the sort of the leader of the tours, the organiser. He was our tour guide, and uh, hopping onto a big coach, there were, uh, I don't know, five or six uh, coaches, and we drove most of the Comrades route. There's a couple of bits where you know, it's one-way traffic sort of things, you can't actually drive it. We drove most of it on the way up, and... Uh, he didn't talk non-stop, but he did talk constantly about tips, parts of the course, uh, history, all sorts of interesting info. Yeah, and uh, interesting safety <laughs> was quite an important factor in his discussion. And this is something that can be a little bit of a surprise for international runners. Firstly, if you're a female running on your own, to be very careful um, you know, in terms of people on the side of the road that you could be accosted or something like that to try and run with a group of male runners, preferably white South African male runners. Um, I don't know how you quite find that on the course if you are a solo female. And it, that was just a little bit scary, I think, for some of the first-timers. Um, also about watching if you're high-fiving the children, to so be careful not to have your GPS 
or your watch taken off your wrist as you do that. Um, I think these were quite disconcerting comments. Whilst it, you always have to be careful, well, we would not advise going off the course to go bush um, in the dark or um, in parts of the course that are isolated. This, these other measures were maybe a little bit extreme, but who knows? Well, I think it's just one thing you can't be too careful and... Uh there are stories every year of people getting into trouble and having things stolen. That, of course, also for spectators with mm. you know, things being stolen from their cars. And they even advise you know, people who are going down to watch the race because a lot of people do go out and cheer by the side of the road and party all day that it's a good day for the robbers. So, you know, leave somebody in the house um, just to keep an eye on things. So, mm. it is a, you know, there are challenges in South Africa around uh, that sort of safety. But yep. uh, that not to detract from what turned out to be a wonderful race experience yep. and around a wonderful tour and the tour uh, stopped off at school stopped off at the wall uh, they have a comrades wall where you can get your name on a plaque there's the uh, famous uh, halfway almost halfway point where uh, the, the legend of Newton uh, Arthur Newton used to run out from Peter Maritzburg stop at the chair have a rest then run back home and, uh, and sort of you're, you're meant to pick a flower and leave the flower as you go past and say good morning, Mr. Newton. And uh, if you do that, legend has it that you'll have a good second half. If you don't acknowledge Mr. Newton as you go past, then your second half of the race won't be so good. So it worked well for us. Uh, we had a good second half of the race. So by acknowledging Mr. Newton, we kept the legend intact. Uh, from there, there was the Etnmany School, which is again is a highlight each year, and they do a sort of fundraiser. They ask, they pass the hat around, and ask people to put in some cash while the, the, ch the children perform do some of their uh, dance and, and singing. And then on to uh, the finish line, which is a wonderful way of seeing the finish and soaking up the atmosphere. You get a sense of where you run into the stadium and run that lap. It's it's it's, it's my favourite part of the, yes. <laughs> the, the tour. I really like that. And then they end you up at Comrade's House, which is one part museum and one part office, I, I, uh, mm. I would suggest. And, of course, in the lead-up to Comrade's Marathon, it's also a place where you can nominate to pick up your registration and stuff thing. So uh, it's all happening there at Comrade's House in the lead-up to, to the race. It'd be nice to go there you know, a few weeks after or before when it's just normal Comrade's House and be able to read all the, the museum and look at look at all the well, exhibits. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but it's quite spectacular. So well worth doing. Uh, if you leave it too late or you miss out, uh, Bruce Fordyce and his... Uh, um, Complete Marathons group also run a tour. Doesn't quite go to the, exactly the same spots, but I suspect it would be very, very similar. And would be, you know, mm. to to do the tour with Bruce Fordyce, who has won the Comrades nine times, that would be quite spectacular. And I think if I went back in the next couple of years, I'd be very tempted to do the Fordyce tour yeah, rather than the, the, yeah. the formal. But yeah. if I was going for the first time, I'd be doing the the formal Comrades endorsed tour and. Um, getting all the access to the things that they do. So that was the Friday, and of course then it was for us, it was back to the expo for a bit of massage. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Saturday morning... Uh, bit of massage. Expo, <laughs> bit of massage, and uh, a bit of a quiet day, uh, not too much sitting by the pool, catching up with friends. There's a, a new service available for international runners, where, again, done by the Bruce Fordyce Group, where they have three uh, points along the course, roughly... 21, 42, and 63, not exactly, but roughly, where you can, the day before, 
give them your supplies, drink your drop bag, whether it's clothing or food or drink items, and then at those 21, 42, 63 kilometres, you can just stop and pick up your gear. So we, it's, it's quite well priced for international runners. We um, took a veil of that and put some muesli bars and other food items there. We didn't end up using them all. No. It was, it was <laughs> nice to not have to carry them and to know that they were there if we did, if we exactly. needed them. So that was a good good service. So we did, that was part of the pre-race day. And then, of course, early to bed um, in preparation for the big early day. Early to rise, yeah. yeah. So Comrades kicks off at 5.30 a.m. We were staying uh, at Hilton near the Expo Centre. So it was about a 10-minute Walk. We left the hotel at 4.30. We were there at plenty of time. Uh, the corrals, of course, based on your marathon seat result for your seating. So as an example, uh, between, I think it's between less than three hours is a A. Three hours to 3.20 is a B. 3.20 to 3.40 is a C. 3.40 to four hours is a D. Four to four twenty is an E, and four twenty mm. to four forty is an F, and I think there's also it goes a, right down to H. There's a G and an H beyond mm. beyond that. So there is in the middle of there a green number section, and I think there might be a charity section, but that's yeah. basically it. So um, as an example, it took us just over just over four, four minutes, minutes this year to cross the start line and this is important because at the comrades it's on gun time not chip time so you have 12 hours from when the uh, cock crows and the gun goes off and that's it so that's if, it. if you're yep. at the back and it and it takes you 10 minutes to get across the start line then you effectively have 11 hours 50 to get there yeah um, if you're in the front row then you've got the full 12 hours and so the irony and it's part of the history it's part of what makes I think comrades great. So the character of the race is that those who need the more time actually get less. Exactly. But let's put this in context. Uh, there's probably not that many years now. I'm not sure. Is it ten years? I think it might have been the anniversary, or was it five? It must be ten because it was in place when we did it. That it used to be eleven hours. Eleven hour race. hours. Yes. So think about that. That so, would be. Um, you've got in essence. You might have 10 minutes less if you're at the back, but you've actually got an extra hour in which to, to get there. So yeah. uh, so we're in the corrals. We're yes. good to go. And Comrades has, um, I think, one of the great starts, particularly the uprun start. I think the buildings, they sort of got the town hall and they have these light, they're lighting up the buildings with logos and things, um, singing of the, the national anthem and the, both the current formal national anthem and the... Uh, Shoshaloza. Yep. Uh, the uh, chariots fire and the, the cock crow to, to denote 5.30 and bang, away you go. Yeah, it is uh, it is quite, uh, well, yeah, awe-inspiring. You feel very uh, nervous but very excited and it does build up that tension so that you stand there. And there were lots of runners trying to record um, the, the, the sound as well as the visual as we got started. Yes, I might actually. It reminds me, I um I tried to record it and we've only just returned, so I haven't had a chance to process all the photos and things. But if I've got the good audio of the start, then uh, I won't play that on the show next week because mm. it, it is quite... Yeah, it is quite awesome. Yes. So uh, we're off. It's in the dark. It's in the dark. And you run in the dark for uh, probably an hour to an hour and a half. Um, and on the uprun, you're running through the main street of 
one of the main streets of Durban amongst the shops and the, the office buildings before making a bit of a turn past the market onto the freeway and, and uh, the road sort of widens out to a three or four lane freeway for uh, probably a good 10k I, I suspect mm. and of course it's then um, steadily uphill uh, runnable but, but it is uphill and it is starting to take its toll um, you've got people by the side of the freeway you've got people on the overpasses and you've got the drink stations to get you there before Cowies Hill is the first of the big five and I'll just set the atmosphere starting in Durban uh, this is quite a subtropical climate so it's very warm no need for any layers to keep you warm at the start we're, we're talking about low 20s and humidity quite high so we're sweating a lot as we're waiting in yep. the dark. Whereas for the down run, um, you're up a bit at Maritzburg, it can be quite cool. Mm. So having a, uh, something to throw away is, is kind of handy when, you, when you're coming down. And so, yes, the first hill, Cowies, not too bad. Put in the studs, put in the walk brakes there to make, make sure we save the legs. Yep. Lots of people by the sides of the road, uh, very crowded because of the, the extra numbers. Yes, it's, it's quite noticeably. Anyway. Mm. And uh, a lot of great camaraderie. Um, Lots of people in there, uh, if, if you're for the South Africans, in their colours of their running club, and uh, many of the internationals chose to wear, whether they're wearing a, you know, a UK or an Australian or a New Zealand shirt, or in the case of ourselves, we had the flag on the back with the, with the old temporary tattoos, the old boxing kangaroo on the leg, and uh, lots of you know, lots of talking to people, you know, you know, Good to see you here from the US or the UK or whatever else, Germany, etc. So mm. that was that was good. So then it was uh, it was kind of like once you get through Cowie's Hill, it's really you just settle down to tick off those hills. Um, Bothers, I think, is next. Then Fields, then in Chenga, and of course Polly Shots or Shots, uh, little Polly's and Polly's, which uh, you know, the top of uh, Polly is uh, what about eight k to go mm. thereabouts. So they've kind of and of course the, the halfway mark. Yes, at Drummond, it's sort of like a bit of a milestone to think, whew, over halfway. So lots of uh, aid stations. You know, re- re- a number of people ask the question, oh, you know, do you need to carry drinks and and food? Well, if you're happy with the food they provide, then there's lots of aid stations, and they therefore you can get away with that. Certainly from a drinks point of view, unless I was um, unable to take what they had I would be not bothering to carry something because I think it's just the extra weight and the heat can be can be quite warm uh, running across the, the veld and a lot of shade uh, and they did a fantastic and they always do a fantastic mm. job with um, water with Enerjade um, and Coca-Cola. some different flavours Coca-Cola and creamy soda Fanta kind of thing so mm. lots to be had and lots of it regularly yep. almost to the point where um you got to be careful. In some cases, you don't drink every stop because it's, cause it's just there's just so it many. Slows you down too yeah, <laughs> if you yeah, do, yeah. and then you need the bathroom stops, which is not yeah. ideal. So very well done there from a, that perspective. Mm. I saw some complaints from some runners, which I I didn't agree with, saying, "Oh, you know, needed more crowd control. There was parts of the course where you know you could only, you know, you had people cheering and getting on the road, and it was hard to get through." Well. It, it was easier to get through the crowded sections 
than it was uh, through some of the busy wide sections where all the runners were together. So I, I just mm. didn't really... It's part of the atmosphere too. Yeah, you know, thinking I... Tour de France and all of that sort of thing. And it does, it, it, it's, it's motivating. It's not... Yeah. It shouldn't have been anyway. Yeah, I think detracting it was, it was a sort of a, I don't know, funny thing to complain about. Yeah. And, I, and I can't see that it really slowed anybody up in, mm. in any particular way. Maybe no, they definitely. felt a bit threatened. But the crowds along the way were, were quite quite stunning. We were very lucky this year. It was, it was warm, but not excessively. Um, and again, I'll sort of get, ar- still get around to publishing the temperature graph at some at some point. But yeah, it was mm. pretty much ideal conditions. No real breeze um, or strong winds that they've had in some yeah. years. It does, I think, remind you again what a tough race it is. Um, yeah. If you haven't done it for a few years, you kind of... The good part, like, like a lot of marathon running, the, the good part's you remember the tough parts you, you tend to fade and you know it is a race very much to be respected i know we we went into the comrades thinking oh look we could you know maybe we could run the keys 100 next year and then two weeks later get around the world ticket come and run the comrades again and and i think by the time we got to the end of the comrades this year it was like that's mm. just not respecting the, the comrades. It's much tougher than that. And to, to run a 100-miler and then two weeks later butter up would be really You'd looking, need to be a new level of, yeah. Looking for trouble. So mm. uh, it does deserve great respect. Uh, now, one of the highlights, I think, uh, was the first people running for the first time. And closely behind that was the people running for their back-to-backs. And uh, yes. Kai... Uh, the dentist from Warnable, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Singapore runner who's uh, made Australia his home, uh, it was out, and it was great to have him as part of the sort of the people that we hung out with. And um, Kai was there, had his dad there for a bit of post comrades tourism. But Kai had been the previous year for the down run, and he'd come back this year for the up run. So um, well done to him getting his back to back medal. And of course, the back to back medal you can only get the first year and the second year running it you can't go for run it this year and then come back in five years and do two in a row and get back to back it's got to be your first and your second consecutive comrades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. there were of course the green numbers club people and the people getting their green numbers and then those amazing people that you run with who've done 25 oh, yeah. 28 30 amazing 30 comrades so yeah truly remarkable so so that takes us to the finish Tell us about the finish area and the finish line and uh, how you felt making it to the end. Well, I think the atmosphere of running into Peter Maritzburg as a smaller town, I'm going to call it a town, a university town, it seems more crowded. There seems to be more noise. Everyone's closer to the line and coming into the oval at Peter Maritzburg, again, it just seems overwhelmingly crowded. The noise level as you come onto the oval and run around that final stretch into the finish shoot, so much more intimate and we could see people in the international pavilion area cheering us on as we came in, some people we knew at the finish and that feeling of overwhelming joy to get there inside the cutoff, comfortably inside the cutoff, not looking at our watches thinking, are we going to make it, which must be a terrible thought for people that are so close to that time zone of I just can't run any faster and I'm going to miss out or I'm yes. just going to get there and I don't even know whether I'm going to get there. And there was the extra challenge this year of there's, uh, some roadworks uh, in one of the towns. Uh, it was Pine Town, I think. Anyway, mm. they, they added about an extra 800 metres because we had to divert around the roadworks. And so for those people who were at the very back of the field, 
it just really added the challenge of mm. uh, a bit slower to get across the starting line and then they lost another 800 metres which you know was sort of five or six minutes for some people and so it was very sad watching the, the people be And there out. are cutoffs on the course. We didn't mention that. Yep. There are time cutoffs. Apart from the finish of the 12 hours, there are various time parameters on the course that you could get pushed out along the way, which is also a, a, a very sad way to, to have to finish. I know. It got a bit of a shock at the first cutoff where we went past, and we only had like, it was only at 20K, but we only had 30 minutes. And it was kind of like, oh, geez, we're close to the cutoff. Mm. And of course, by the time we got to the the third, fourth, fifth ones, we had like 90 minutes, uh, an hour 45. So we we were well under. But that, just seeing that first cutoff at like, oh, we've only got 30 minutes, even though we'd only gone 20 kilometres, it was like, oh, you know, we better, better, better keep moving and, and mm. get, a, get a move on. So that was there. Um, one of the other sad stories we heard was that the, um, the, the lady that we had breakfast with and her garment had, had stopped and uh, at about eight hours. And so she decided she would join... The pace bus, and she got on with a 12-hour pace bus. And of course, in comrades in South Africa, the pace bus is what we might call in other parts of the world the pace group, group. Mm-hmm. or the uh, uh, what do they call them in rabbits, bunnies. In oh Canada, yeah, yeah, the pace, pace bunnies. bunnies. Mm. Um, so she joined in with the with the 12-hour group, thinking that they would know what they were doing. And the 12-hour bus that she joined up with missed the cutoff for the last cutoff. So uh, not only did this lady miss it, but so did a whole group of people. So that's yeah, that's really sad. When you do get in with an official organised group that do that, yep. whether you know, we don't know what the story was. Whether they'd misjudged with that extra distance added in that somehow they hadn't adjusted watches for it. Not sure, but uh, we tried to run with one of the pace groups too, and we were finding that they were going way too fast for what we thought. We kept looking at our watches, thinking they were going too fast. Well, they. I think the, the interesting thing is that they designate themselves as a sub, mm. and at one point the the the, um, the ten hour bus and the eleven hour bus, like at sixty k into the race, were kind of next to each other. So I'm not sure what was going on on there, um, but they do say sub eleven, and you know I suppose you know technically ten, 10 hours, hours thirty 10, is ten, <laughs> ten, ten, ten and a half hours or ten hours fifteen is yeah. a sub. But usually usually when you think it's like the the 11-hour bus, you'd expect it to come in at maybe 10.50. Mm. 10.45 is probably a bit bit too quick, quick. for what people yeah. might be expecting for it. So that was interesting. And, of course, the wonderful finish, the international tent catching up with people. Uh, mostly good stories, but some sad stories. Yeah, some sad and stories. You know, it is tough when you, you see someone at the finish and then how did you go? And it's like I pulled out at 30 or 40 because I was injured. And it's, uh, it, it's what can you say? Yeah, it, it is just devastating. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just going to mention about some of the, the dangers on the course. The cat's eyes on the road. We ran with Grace Bailey, who'd tripped and yes. grazed all of her knee, which could have been the end of a race on a cat's eye in the dark. So you've just got to be so careful in yep. that crowded field to yep. make it a bit more dangerous. So wonderful experience, wonderful mm. atmosphere. Um, for the uprun, bit of a tough situation at the end where everyone waits for 12 hours and the cutoff and then to get out that uh, there was I was flabbergasted to discover after two hours when we finally got out of there on the bus that there were police patrolling and supposedly helping the traffic get out but geez um, hard to see that they actually did anything effective because for, for almost two hours we sat still on the bus and didn't move, and nobody around us was moving. It was a real disaster, almost to the point where, you know, I 
I'll need it for quite a few years to, to or a really good reason to go back and do an uprun because it just it just soured the well, whole experience. If you think about, we went to the buses at quarter to six and we got home at ten p.m. Yes. back to our hotel. You know, that's a long time. Particularly, we were comfortable, but if you were in an uncomfortable position with cramping, vomiting, illness, oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite unacceptable. And of course, then with the bus, we had the. <laughs> Uh, the horrible experience where a bus driver who didn't speak any English um, dumped us off in the middle of downtown Durban and, um, and some of the locals were horrified the next day to, to discover that we'd been dumped off in the middle of downtown Durban because it's not one of the world's safest, <laughs> safest places. places to be. Fair to say that the fastest <laughs> kilometre of the day was uh, after we'd removed watches, packed everything tightly, wrapped it around our back, jumped off the bus and then... Tried to hobble. And uh, we did. We ran, we ran our quickest kilometre of the day from the middle of downtown Durban back to the lit area and, and ultimately back to the safety of the, the hotel. So that was a bit, mm. of a, a bit of a sour note and something I know that they've had a lot of complaints and they're working on to look at how they can do. But it, just, it may well have been that they need to have a separate car park and entry exit for the buses yeah. that they can zip those well, people the- in and out and then that would clear up the way for the cars but it was sort of it was reminiscent of vfl park uh finals of the 70s at its worst where you you know yeah you just sort of wonder could they set the buses like a half a kilometer down the road on the road and i'd be happy to walk yeah, further to get to a bus to to get out quicker than sit in the car park but all in all yep. uh, a magnificent and wonderful magnificent and wonderful weather uh typically at this time of year mid-20s low 20s, sunny, clear conditions, and just some magnificent scenery yep. as you run to. So that was the the comrades. Um, beautiful to then go on and for the first time to visit Cape Town. And we, we did a lot of walking. We were tempted to run, but we figured, again, we needed to uh, r- respect the comrades and the recovery. But clearly you can see why Cape Town is a great city and, and a great running city with a mixture of trails. And uh, we stayed at the... Um, What's it called? Victoria and Alfred. That's sort of the harbour area yep. where you, you the take the mm-hmm. magnificent views of Table Mountain, but also we, we had the privilege of going out to Robben Island and seeing the, the prison out there and Nelson Mandela's cell, but where all the other political prisoners were kept. Um, but the, uh, the the couple of running-related comments there is the trails around the city and some great events well worth going for. The uh, Cape Town the new Cape, relatively new Cape Town Marathon in September each year. That would be a great one to get to. And, of course, if you have been thinking, as we have, about the two oceans, then having had uh, two days in Cape Town, two oceans has moved from sort of my, I think I want to do at least two. It's it's going up there. It's got to be, it's got to be done. Um, mm. s- stunning city. Oh, Absolutely stunning. Beautiful. Unlike... Uh, Durban and Johannesburg it is is one of the world's great great cities. Oh it is. A touch of Sydney, touch of Perth, touch of uh San Francisco. Maybe Toronto. Touch of uh yes, maybe mm. touch of Auckland. It's got it's got it's got character. It's it's a great place. And a, a lovely waterfront both in the kind of the harbour area where we stay but also further around to Camps Bay and the, oh, those yeah. sorts of areas. So a great city for for running. So that was uh Comrades South Africa. And South Africa. Mm. From there, it was on to Phuket. So we had the flight from hell where we went <laughs> from Cape Town to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to Sydney. Luckily, got an upgrade there. Uh, Sydney to Melbourne, uh, changed bags, five-hour layover. Melbourne to, P- 
to, to Bangkok overnight, so second night on, on the plane, Bangkok to Phuket, and we arrived in, uh, we got to the hotel in Phuket at about 10 o'clock, two days after we left <laughs> Cape uh, Town. at 10 o'clock from Cape Town, so yep. less the time gap, I think all up our travel time was uh, about 37 hours, so... We were on the road for a long time, but we got there, and we were there in time for our 100th marathon together, and particularly for the Phuket 10th anniversary of the Laguna Phuket Marathon, which is a wonderful event. They have a kids race, they have a five, a ten, half, and a marathon. Mm -hmm. Originally uh, put together by Go Adventure Asia as a way of uh, trying to raise money, rebuild the area after the devastating tsunami, and so there's sort of a little bit of a a link of just seeing the way this race has grown uh, to the extent that this year, for the first time, they had to close off events. They were full up, yes, which caught a few out. runners by, uh, by, by surprise, actually, because uh, normally you'd been able to rock up to this event and enter the day before, but um, all events full, which is fabulous. Um, they're trying to grow with controlled growth to try and just build this event but maintain the quality of the running and the support on the course. And there was great support on the course. So, again, they have an expo um, at just outside the Outrigger Hotel, sort of where at the start and finish area, and the expo is on, on the Friday and Saturday, mm -hmm. Friday afternoon and pretty much all day Saturday. Um, Laguna Phuket, six hotels, I think, from... Um, Sort of probably a, uh, a good family budget, three and a half to four star through to the Banyan Tree six star, something for everyone. But they had wonderful deals at the Outrigger, which is it's probably a five star, but it's a magnificent hotel uh, right on the, the ocean, but also on the lagoon. Uh, great pool, which was particularly popular with uh, families, um, top, pop, very popular after the race with Sue and the Malaysian women marathon girls drink cocktails, <laughs> drink cocktails in, the, in the pool. Pina colada um, by the pool. A couple of nice restaurants, um, beautiful buffet breakfast. So, and, and the thing with the Outrigger, it's a couple of hundred metres at most walk to the start and finish and registration area. So that was that was particularly good. Uh, we were very privileged on the Saturday. We were part of the official ceremony and, and the uh, uh, the large media uh, activity where... Um, runner Mike David Cartwright from Hong Kong was was there and participated. Was running his hundredth individual or solo marathon, a magnificent achievement. And uh, it was great to be part of Mike's uh, day. And it was it was probably the last piece of the puzzle for motivating us to go and be part of it too was to celebrate with with Mike as we've seen him in various races around the world and uh, watch him watch his activities on Facebook. Uh, of course, the managing director of Laguna Phuket was part of the press conference as was the race director and then so and I um a couple on the run talking about our hundredth marathon and uh the you know Laguna Phuket as a destination marathon. Mm. We then followed that up with a seminar on Go Further Together. So we had a nice crowd come along and we talked about um running with uh a group or a partner or or individual running success and a few tips and strategies and uh, tools for helping people do that. Um then it was race day. It was race day, and you know this time of year it's going to be hot in Thailand or in Phuket, and you know it's going to be hot. There's a possibility that it could be a bit of rain as well, but in today, in this particular race day's case, that didn't happen. We had a very sunny 
very warm day. Um, hydration, very important, and electrolyte, all of that sort of stuff. And Go Adventure Asia did a great job on the course with drink stations every 2K with ice, ice drinks, ice in drink cups, electrolyte drink and water, as well as some fruit laid out at quite a few of the stops as well for a little bit of extra hydration with the watermelon and uh, potassium levels with the banana pieces out and about. So lots of, and sponges, sorry, I should say as well, sponges, which were really appreciated by the runners. So with the 4.30 a.m. start for the marathon, you uh, probably run the dark for hour and a half, Mm -hmm. maybe a touch more. Um, And I reckon it was a good, a good uh, probably two and a half hours before serious sun got over the mountains. So you had that, you know, it was light but but not running in the sun. And it was a warm. It was warm. It was a warm one. And so, it was a warm one. Uh, as, uh, I suppose in terms of the detail, what do we mean by that? Uh, my Sunto watch tracked the temperature. It was, uh, to exactly, it was uh, just under 30, 31.3 at the start. Um, so probably a touch warmer because it was so many people around in the area that we were in. But it, it uh, the lowest it got for the day was uh, 30.1. So probably dropped a degree once we got, you know, two or three K out of the starting area and a little bit away from the downtown built up space. Um, ran for the first half of the race, up to about 25k it was sort of in that 31 not quite 32 degrees we then um, 32 at uh, 30 at 32k we got up to 34 and then basically from uh, 39k onwards we were well above 34 in fact we peaked just before the finish at 41k, 41 a bit k, at 36.6 plus humidity. Plus humidity that doesn't take into account the humidity. So the amount of sweat, the sweat loss that was going on, and in fact I weighed myself before the start of the race and then immediately afterwards 2.1 kilograms of fluid loss during this event. And when you weigh 50 kilos, that's a lot of your body weight. So that's 4%. Yeah. Am I right? Mm. Yes, yeah, so four percent there. So I wouldn't mind losing four percent <laughs> of fluid. Oh, but just uh, just to say, and at one point uh, you actually asked me to wring out your shirt because it was getting mm. so heavy with sweat. It felt like you were carrying that two kilograms attached to your shirt. So you know, it it is a they are rather very difficult running conditions if you are coming out of Australian winter yeah. to run in. So putting the context, it's not the place to go for a PV. It is not the place, but it to go is to absolutely the place to go for a wonderful, running oh, wonderful experience. running experience and a great holiday atmosphere. Of course, Inc- added into that, extra, extra, extra good camaraderie and friendliness amongst the runners. Yeah, uh, running through villages, running past the ocean, uh, running past the monks, going out for their morning arms, you know, sort of down the side of the airport at one point. Rubber tree plantation. Rubber, the rear, that, that's quite stunning. Past some of the big hotels past some of the villas and lakes and and it's just got a bit of everything yeah uh, back past the ocean again past the the big lagoon uh, at Laguna uh, past the chapel through the little town center just one thing after another lots and lots of, of uh, great great sites 
and and as she said, great volunteers, well stocked with the drinks and the ice and, and oh, definitely. Sort of thing. So, but also very welcoming for runners that are not the fastest. And to give an idea, there was say there were over, just over a thousand in the marathon, and. As I said, we were not our quickest. We were about four hours, 45, something like that. Yeah. We were about 200th in the field. So there's a lot of people behind us. Course stayed open. Um, some of our friends came in about eight hours. And Roman and the the crew were going around. They were making sure that all the ice, all the drinks were topped up to cater for those runners about the eight-hour yep. mark as well. So and, uh, I think for us, coming uh, as we then worked out, we we ran the Comrades and we ran the Phuket Marathon within the one week, within mm. a seven-day period. Because of the time difference, uh, we'd actually finished a few hours before the full seven days had come about. So it was kind of a, just a nice, uh, leisurely marathon to run around as a kind of a post mm. And, of course, the after you know, highlight coming across the finish, uh, we... Uh, is the um, course announcer host compare there does a magnificent oh, job amazing uh, as I said to him you know of all of the people we've seen around the world he certainly was the best of the best of the best when it comes to MC and, and course duties he did a fantastic job helping us celebrate and acknowledging us finishing with our hundred they then came out with a special um, I don't know what would you call it a floral yes floral it was kind of like a, the, a religious the, thing the Thai almost. version of a lay yes so if it was in Honolulu, it would have been the full way, but it was it was the Thai version of that. So it had the special flowers and the orchids and the things, and it was it's quite quite stunning and and a lovely way to do it. And of course, we had the, the benefit then of having a quick uh, dip in the ocean and getting back in time to watch runner Mike come in and celebrate his hundredth crossing of the line. And they did the same sort of thing for him and lots of people there for photos. Great to catch up with lots of our friends from Malaysia and Singapore, Singapore and Hong Kong and mm. Thailand. And so that was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. So that was the Phuket International Marathon, highly recommended. And uh, of note, same uh, people from Laguna and from Go Asia Adventures uh, launching the Laguna Vietnam Marathon. Yeah, uh, Lang Co on the central coast of Vietnam. I'm going to do an interview and a story on that in a future show, but I can see that over the years that'll be a, a great reason to go to Vietnam and, and run in the Laguna Vietnam Marathon. So well done to everybody who participated and organised and was involved in any which way in the Laguna Phuket 10th anniversary. And I did like the symbolism of the 90th comrades, the 10th, the 10th Phuket and our 100th together which was a real thrill and we um we sort of decided at the last minute to go and make that our hundred together because it was you know one of the things we've enjoyed the most in our hundred marathons is our honolulus uh our Bali's, our phuket's our sort of marathons where there's been a bit of poolside oceanside <laughs> Uh, post, you know, Sunshine Coast is another one where you can sort of hit the beach or the pool afterwards in the warm climate and that's exactly what we did. We had four or five days uh, in Phuket where we basically, the routine was get up, go for a run, have breakfast, lie by the beach, walk up and down, you know, some four or five K walks on the beach, hit the pool and then go for a run, then have dinner and then do it all again. And mm -hmm. so a couple of days of doing that was, was a very, very nice break and before heading back to the cooler of winter. <laughs> yes. So that is uh, that is our uh, Comrades and Phuket Marathon journey for 2015. 
You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. So, so just to finish up on our sort of uh, Comrades Phuket and Life on the Road, uh, a couple of quick tips around the, the challenges or dealing with the challenges of travelling uh, to an international marathon, particularly if you're away for a little while and you're dealing with a couple. And I think, you know, we heard the story where for Comrades, somebody checked in all of their running gear and their bags got lost and they were left without their their running gear, had to buy new stuff and all that sort of thing. So, again, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Yeah. Point number one, when you are travelling by plane um, or ship or or any other way, uh, but particularly by plane, is that to carry your shoes and anything that's vital in terms of your race gear. So if you're you know, someone who relies on orthotics or rely, you've got a certain pair of shorts that you just can't replace or you're getting there at the last minute, take in your hand luggage or wear, even sometimes with luggage restrictions, you need to actually just wear them on the plane, your running shoes and your running kit. Yep, definitely. Okay, so that's step number one. Number two? Number two, yeah, adapt to the local time zones of sleep. And with these long-haul flights where you do cross time barriers, it can be very tempting if you've had no sleep on the plane, if you've kind of missed your night's sleep, to go, oh, I've just got to go to bed as soon as you get to your destination, even if it's the middle of the day. And we did see runners that were experiencing insomnia, waking up at the wrong time. Um, Try and adapt to the local time zone for sleep as soon as you get there. Don't relent. I think the only exception to this really is if you're zipping in for one or two nights, in which case, depending on the time change, you might be able to stick to your existing thing and sometimes that can do less damage. But if you're going for a few days or a week, then really you just got to adapt to the local changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, it's a challenge of uh, particularly food uh, when you're travelling. And so... You, often you don't know what you're going to get on the plane. Mm. Um, and if you've been really strict in your eating through your training and you're leading up to, then particularly if you're on a long-haul flight where you might have two or three meals, you can really sort of be upset and put off by the food that they serve. You know, it's not bad food, but if you, for example, you haven't been eating anything with, say, bread rolls and that sort of stuff, and that's the key part of the meal, you can be in strife. So just because you're going to get a, a meal included with your flight doesn't necessarily mean you need to eat it. And so with a lot of uh, airports, you can buy something at the last minute that suits your your tastes and either eat it before you get on the plane or you know, maybe carry it on and eat it depending on your airlines mm. and things. So so eat your own food at the airport or carry on if, if possible. Uh, and if you are at all sensitive to the airline food, then you know, it's not worth upsetting your race at the last minute. Even muesli bars and things can be better to snack on than eating something which is going to disagree with you. Yep. Hydration, hydration, hydration is tip number four. If you wait and rely on being asked, do you want a drink, do you want some water, um, when you get offered on the plane, you're probably going to find you're underhydrated by the time you arrive and then you've got to play catch-up. So really good idea to bring your own bottle of water onto the plane after you go through all those security checks. Make sure that then you've got um, maybe even a litre bottle of water um, able to keep going with yes, yourself. Yes, and, and don't, be afraid, gradually. don't be afraid to ask for more Top water ups. as you go. Exactly. Uh, number five on a list of uh, 
life on the road is just being aware of security. Uh, it can be everything from at airports, you know, being careful that you're... Well, I have a routine where I'll have a bag that I'm going through those checking um, x-ray things. I'll put my bag through before my computer and I'll make sure I keep an eye on my computer because all the horror stories of people having phones and iPads and things swiped off conveyor belts. Again, when you're on the plane, be a bit careful about where you keep things like your credit cards and those things. There's a story the other day about a guy who'd left his computer in his seat pocket while he went to the toilet and came back on the plane and it was gone. So just being aware. And then, of course, once you arrive in a different country, then uh, you know, be careful to what are the reputable taxi services, what are the safe places to go, relying on the hotel to a degree about where it's safe to go and, and, and not go. Um, you know, not trusting people too much and, and just being very very careful uh, keeping your wits about you so mm-hmm. that's that's an important thing to do uh, number six so yeah keep moving and as soon as you do get to your destination a uh, great way of trying to get yourself back into gear or back into the swing of things is to go for a walk maybe a run if you feel that you are up to that but even a walk is great just to get your body moving um, a lot of hotels if you are staying overnight for a quick stay in transit or if you're not so sure of your destination and you arrive at night and you just want to have a little bit of exercise or somewhere you're not so sure you haven't found out the local area a lot of hotels have treadmills yep. and we're not huge wraps on treadmills but even we got onto the treadmill in Johannesburg just to have a quick run around uh, to try and loosen up our legs a bit after a long haul flight, so nothing wrong with a quick run on a treadmill, if that's yep. not usually your thing. But I think the thing with the treadmill, if you're not used to running the treadmill, is take it extra slow. Yeah, just do um, a, a very short, even yeah. just two, three k, just loosen the legs up yep. a little bit. Great. Okay, um, avoiding overeating something that uh, I uh, not too good at, but you can often run into challenges, particularly in you know, Europe, Africa, uh, sometimes in the US, where the standard Thing is that it's an all-inclusive uh, breakfast with your uh, hotel and accommodation so it sometimes can be easy to eat more than you normally would at breakfast or eat different things and of course in the lead up to your big race now this is again the sort of thing that can upset you so it's that notion of eating the right things for your carbo loading and your race prep depending on what your focus is but not eating too much and so um, you know, have a few treats after the race but be careful in the lead up and of mm. course then you have those pasta parties and carbo loading nights and pre-race things once again um, you know, eat your big meal two nights before rather than the night before and just be careful uh, when you've got like the buffet table there with lots of pastas and desserts and all sorts of things now this number, is one of yours number eight this is one of my bugbears is air conditioning uh, quite often, when we're, well, obviously when we're in the plane, we're in that sealed environment, you've got that recycled air. Then when you get to your destination, maybe even the hotel rooms, you can't open the windows, you're relying on air conditioning again. I'm someone who suffers from sinus and inevitably I find my sinus starting to bleed if I get too much air conditioning going on. Often it's not possible to open up the windows, but again, trying to get outdoors if you can, as much as you can when you get to your destination to get some of that fresh air after all of the air conditioning. Air conditioning is really dehydrating as well, so another negative for being exposed to too much air con. And uh, last but not least, 
on our nine tips for life on the road for the runner is uh, really like to get out and run at first light or walk if it's sort of a lead up to whatever else. And the reason for this is, well, one, it's light, so you can see what's about you. Two, at first, at the break of the day, it's usually coolest, uh, best best conditions often, and there's less like traffic and people around. So whether it's um, muggers or just people driving to go to work or whatever it might be, it's often a very good time of the day. So again, always check uh, this as part of your security with the locals and particularly with the hotel that, that, that this is an area where it is a good place to run first up. But more often than not, uh, aim to get your run done at first light. Um, get out of the way and then you've done it for the day and it's and it's sort of done when it's quieter and whatever else. So, mm. so there's uh, nine tips. There are many more things to do. Uh, there are sort of many benefits of, of running internationally and, and travelling, but there are some pitfalls and particularly you can really um, mess up all that good training by uh, not hydrating, overeating, having your things stolen or whatever else can really put a dampener on the whole experience. So again, it's just part of your preparation uh, sometimes we take these things for granted, but it's, it's a very important aspect of it. So, Sue, so that is the end of our uh, Comrades Phuket and Life on the Road focus for today. And time to uh, finish the show with... The Road Ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. Well, around the world we have the Bear Lake Marathon oh. in Utah. That sounds cute. Maybe, <laughs> if they're, unless there are bears. Buff Enigma, back-to-front marathon in the UK. Chinklamus in Pennsylvania. Dreber in Germany. The Father's Day marathon in the USA. So I'm kind of thinking it must be Father's Day. They must have it at a different time of year to us. GM40 Alpine in Slovenia. Grandma's marathon in Minnesota. It's probably the big race in interest in the US, Leso in Denmark, Leadville Trail in Colorado, the Lisbon Eco Marathon in Portugal, the Great Run in Maine, Mayo Midnight Marathon in Canada. And I'll just make a mention now, it is the um, longest day of the year or the shortest day of the year the following weekend, the next weekend of running, if we're depending on which hemisphere you are in. So quite a few marathons taking note of that. Nordmarker Skogs Marathon in Oslo, uh, Strava in Italy, Midnight Marathon, here's another one, um, in Michigan, Big Five Marathon in amongst the game park in Entenbeni in South Africa, the Tromso Midnight Marathon in Norway, the Big Elk Marathon in Maryland, Bantz Marathon sold out, Burger Trail in Spain, Cheltenham Circular Marathon in the UK, Labajo in Spain, Manitoba in Canada, De Alsace in France, uh, First Marathon in Germany, Rock and Roll Ultra in Ireland, um, San Juan in California, Seabank in the UK, uh, Forst in Germany, um, Vancouver Big Marathon in Canada, and of course where we will be this weekend, the Tralgan Marathon, the 48th running of the Tralgan Marathon. They're getting close to their big 5-0. Yes, the big 5-0. Uh, mm. Interesting. They've been going almost as long as you. <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, the other thing I want to mention just before we sign off is uh, a notable for our Comrades and Phuket journey was Comrades this year, just like a lot of other races as we're noticing, they had the Comrades buff Oh, yes, the buff. Or the headscarf. Yes, the headscarf. And, yeah. and I thought, oh, that's, that makes sense for comrades. You know, it can be a bit cold in South Africa. But blow me down. Knock me over with a 
with a, a, a running chip, with a timing chip. We got to Phuket and the hot, humid, sunny conditions of uh, Thailand. And there it is on sale and in the race kit. But the running buff. The, the Phuket, Laguna Phuket buff. So we, we get a, a double buff. Yes, and then we were given a Malaysia women's buff. Oh, yes. So marathon, so it was a three buff trip. It was a three buff trip, but you know, they, they're coming from everywhere. Where's, yeah. the, where's the partner running buff coming? Well, we're going to have to sort of share the love between all of these buffs that we're collecting. Yes, I mean, as I say, you do look good in the buff, but uh, they're coming from everywhere. They it, are. It, it is the it's, hot, the it's hot the item. It's a hot item. It's, so the question now is, what is the next item? Yeah. What, what is going well, to Well, Comrades actually set the, um, what is it called? Um, the armband for putting yeah. your phone or iPod or something in. So recognition of a, a tr- popular trend the same way as the buff being a popular trend. A lot of Asian runners do actually in the heat, I suppose, if you are if you want to have a light covering on your head, you could cover the top of your scone with... Yes, that could make sense. With the headscarf. Uh, I, see, I, think, I think that the, the arm branded thing to carry your iPhone in, that's kind of... There's a limited market for that, and there's kind mm. of not the event people. Once you move on to running, you know, marathons and trail, your know, ultras and stuff, I don't see too many trail runners running with their phone. They, you know, they're Garmin and Sunto people. So, I think it's it's kind of a it's an entry level product, not thing. Whereas the and maybe that's a thing. You know, entry, they want them. entry level people have the branded arm thing for their phone, and then the more serious, dedicated next step up person moves into the buff. For their trail and other events, but interestingly, that the buff has moved out of the trail into, into the two road, road races, yes, three road races, as you say, they're all road races and all doing the uh, the headscarf. Yeah, great to be back, and uh, as I said, lots coming up in the next few weeks, including looking forward to interviewing uh, the organisers of the Laguna Vietnam Marathon, finding out all about that, and. Uh, Time for us to start training for UTMF Mount Fuji, yes. but with the next couple of weeks, of course, it's Tarogan. Surf Coast Trail Marathon. Leading to the Yu Yang's 100 and mm. lots of other great things. So thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll see you, let's talk to you next week on The Partnering Show. Great to be back in the studio. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner magazine.